What's happening, troops, and welcome to the With Mates podcast. A little bonus episode for you all. So we've recently done the No Time to Die James Bond spoiler review, and in that conversation, myself and Arla decided to have a little retrospective look at Daniel Craig's career as James Bond as 007, and we looked over all the movies that he'd done uh, before he did his final movie in No Time to Die, so you're just going to drop you into the little conversation that myself and Arla had, hope you enjoy. So Arla, the first question I've got to ask you when it comes to like, James, like you, you're massively into James Bond, yeah? Yes, I'm a, I'm a massive James Bond fan, not just the uh, Daniel Craig Bond fans, which I know sort of revived the series. Um, I can't say I was there at the beginning because the beginning was back in the 60s and I was born in 1991. So my introduction my introduction to James Bond was GoldenEye and more, more importantly, playing GoldenEye on Nintendo 64. Um, and it being sort of like my go-to sort of comfort Bond film. But obviously from that, I learned, wait, oh, there's there's like 15 movies before this. Oh, I must, I must peruse. Um, <laughs> and I've come to love all of them individually um, for different reasons, obviously, because depending on the, the depending on the type of film they want to do, depending on the type of Bond actor, depending on the villain, depending on the plot, and depending if it's um, never say uh, uh, never say never again. Uh, they all have a special place in my heart. Um, so I'm a, I'm a, I'm I'm truly a massive uh, James Bond fan. Um, but what I wanted to do, because obviously you said you want to talk about uh, No Time to Die in the podcast, which of course I was I was so happy that you asked me to do. But I think given the fact that this is the first time that Bond has been serialised and that yeah. the next movie is a direct response to the previous movie and there's obviously running themes, ideas and characters that sort of form Bond the character as opposed to Bond the cartoon. Yeah. Um, I figured it was probably best that we did just a little, just a little footnote as, as short as I can possibly make it for you. <laughs> Um, of the first four movies before we go into it. Uh, but yes, yes, to answer your question, I'm a, I'm a huge, huge, huge fangirl of James Bond. Yes. That's what I like to hear. I think for me, I, I, I do really like Bond. Again, I'm I'm a movie goer, so it's one of these, like we were talking like with the trailers, like Matrix. I'm not really into Matrix, but like it's a film, so I'm going to go see it. Whereas James Bond kind of, it, it, it's higher than that for me. I've, I'm very much, um, I've got nostalgia view when it comes to James Bond. Like I remember... Because I'm the same as you, I was born in 91, so Golden Eyes was a big thing on the N64. I remember watching that movie, I could probably still quote it today. But the thing that always sticks out to me with James Bond was, I used to go to St Andrews um, to a caravan with my, my grandparents, and my grandpa would sit and we would sit and watch like Moonraker, and all the old ones would be on like ITV. It was like the only films that were on at like terrestrial telly at the time. Uh, and I think the caravan only had like three channels, so like that's what we watched, and I always enjoyed them. And like you had characters like Jaws and Odd Job, and, and and it was very cartoony and stuff like that. But I loved it, and that's where like my kind of love for James Bond or enjoyment for those movies kind of comes from. It stems from that. My dad always used to watch them. Um, who who's your who's your favorite Bond? Okay, you're already gonna. I'm already gonna lose all your fans on this. Uh, my favorite Bond is Timothy Dalton, which no one ever fucking agrees with me on. I don't. I don't see anything wrong with that. Like, I mean, because he was he was one and done, wasn't he? 
He was two. No, uh, he oh, was two. He, two? Was, uh, he was a living. Da- he was the living daylights and license to kill. And to me, Timothy Dalton was just the perfect blend of cheese and charm. Right. Um, that was also when we left uh, your favorite Bond movie, which I won't get you into talking about because I know how much you hate it. But obviously, <laughs> after a view to the kill, they were like, right, we need to sort of reinvent the franchise. So no fucking wonder, the- Jesus. <laughs> Exactly. I don't like not... saying bad things about films, but my God, Craig Andrew Mooney making me watch that for the one hundred uh, podcast. Jeez, that was that was excruciating. Yeah, um, I mean, I'm not. If you want to open that box, I'm more than happy to open. No, it no, no, because that, that that's a podcast in itself, and I've, <laughs> I've 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 already addressed that and had the the sweats and the anger sweats about that film. <laughs> um, but yeah, so for me, Timothy Dalton is right on the money between the cheese and the charm, as well as taking it in a more serious tactical role, um, limited to to the eighties and whatnot. Um, and is I really like *A Living Daylights*. A lot of people, from uh, for most people, it's the song because the song is top notch. But I really, I really like it, even though a lot of people don't. And then, and then *A License to Kill* is actually the only Bond movie that's ever received a fifteen certificate and rated R in the states. Um, that's because there was there was quite a bit of swearing in it, and also there's that horrific scene where someone gets put into an ax- anti-oxygen chamber and his head blows up. Um, but yeah, sorry, my my favourite portrayal of James Bond is an always well, I, I don't say always because we don't know who's going to be coming up next, but yeah. it'll always be Timothy Dalton. Although he's not he's not in any way which I would consider my favourite or the best Bond movies. I just like him. Yeah, I think yeah. for me, I, I, I think my favourite is Daniel Craig. I've I've loved his iteration of him. Um, obviously, like Golden Eye is like nostalgia for me. It was like probably the, one of the first bonds that I seen. So Pierce Brosnan's got a place as well. And then I love Sean Connery just because obviously he's Scottish and stuff like that. But like to me, <laughs> like yeah, that's that's a tie. Like I, that's why I love Sean Connery in every fucking film. It doesn't matter if he's Russian, if he's English, if he's Jamaican. He's Scottish because that's what Scottish, Sean Connery yeah. does. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, for me, Daniel Craig, I, I, I've loved his portrayal, like, especially like when, when we get into this film, I'll kind of explain why, um, mm-hmm. because he's in my favourite uh, James Bond film, which we can now move on because we can start talking about Daniel Craig's um, career as 007. So he kicked off with Casino Royale. Um, that always sticks out in my head because when I, that was the first ever Blu-ray I got. We, um, oh. the PlayStation did a thing where, I think it was a PS3, it was the first time like consoles were like really trying to get online and stuff. So it's like, oh, if you get PlayStation online or PlayStation Plus or whatever it was at the time, we'll send you a free Blu-ray. And I was like, I don't know what a Blu-ray is, but it's free and I want it. Like that was all that was all I really cared. Uh, and I got I got a post like this was at the time. I think I was like fucking fourteen or something at the time, whatever age I was. And it was like I didn't receive mail. And then I got this mail, and I was like, oh, what's this? So I literally took my dog down to my grand's and I was opening it halfway through. I was like, oh, it's a DVD. And then realised it was a Blu-ray because PlayStation was the first thing I had Blu-ray players. But yeah, I love Casino Royale. It's my favourite film. Um, it's brilliant. Mads Mikkelsen, Daniel Craig, Eva Green. It's fucking brilliant. Well, yeah, I think I think a lot of people really like Daniel Craig because I think that was the first time that they made James Bond human. Um, I think that they did toy with the idea of Pierce Brosnan. That there was a lot of times when Pierce Brosnan got like visibly hurt, and it was like, oh, I, I actually feel like he might not be able to um, beat the villain, even though he's confirmed yeah. for five movies. Um, but yeah, like especially in Casino Royale, because like he dies in Casino Royale, like he flatlines yeah. at some point, and simply from a from a drink, you know. That's um, that was that's one of the coolest scenes but and i think that's something that i see even into to the the latest um daniel craig movie is he's very like 
he's so calm and composed and stuff like that. Like as you say, like he, yeah. he died, and as he gets up, he's like, hey, "We get back to the table," and I'm just like, "Oh, he's, he, he, this is for me what personifies James Bond is he's just this like mm-hmm. almost robotic." Terminator S just like yeah this is me I'm fucking zoning in that I've got a job to do and I'm going to go do it and that's that was the scene where I'm just like yeah Daniel Craig's awesome yeah no and I think it's, it's interesting because it was sort of like the restart bond because Casino Royale starts before he's um he's becomes double O yeah. like so he needs to confirm kills to become double O and it's got that great opening um I think as well because that was Daniel Craig's first outing of Bond they really needed a strong director of it and the director Martin Campbell who directed Goldeneye which was Pierce Brosnan's first iteration they brought him back because they sort of like well you reinvented the wheel once for us can you do it again and Martin just like fucking hold my beer um, <laughs> and, and he and um and he and he went for it and and immediately you can tell there's a there's a complete shift in tone it's it's more dark it's more evil um and leads into one of the greatest Bond songs ever you know my name by Chris Cornell uh those who are fans of Soundgarden obviously they grew up with Chris Cornell's voice or um I can't remember the band he did with the Rage Against the Machine, but anyway, he's been around before, and that was his first so- one of his first solo outings. And um, yeah, it's, it's a great song. Uh, it encapsulates everything, encapsulates the danger of it. I'm not saying that like the, the song's the song and whatnot, but the whole idea about you know like how are you willing to die? It, it sort of encapsulates the idea that you are now becoming a double O. This yeah. is the life you'll have. They say that for the film, my understanding of double O is that they have very low life expectancy. Um, and I think that this is why I really wanted to talk about the older ones as well. I'm not going to go through the whole movie. I'm definitely not going to do that. But it's important to understand where Bond's sort of not hatred or misogynistic view to women come from, but sort of like his lack of empathy towards it. Because naturally beforehand, Bond's a power fantasy and that's great. Men, you know, women loving men want to be him. It's completely understandable. But this was the first time when it showed like he was going into it. Yeah, he was a top shagger. He loved playing poker. Um, that wasn't meant to be a pun that just happened to happen um, but like um, like you know you could see him shagging about and everything and then he falls in love with Vesper and like yeah. you know at the end of Casino Royale at the end of it he's considering leaving the double O he's already considering leaving become a double yeah. for Vesper turns out the Vesper betrayed him um, and I think that is something that we that, that's why I wanted to talk about it because this is sort of like when we get to No Time to Die without spoiling it it's sort of like the completion of his arc yeah um and they've never done that before. Um, there, there's been one or two times when like, maybe a, a Bond story has followed on from the last one but then gone on to its old story. But realistically, these movies do follow one another. Yeah, these these so, these are very much intentioned as a series. Like As you say, like there are like sometimes within... Because like, I know like Jaws has pe- appeared in like a couple of movies and, and things like that. So yeah, they, they are within the real world. Whereas this is very much a series of movies each movie moves on and kind of gives you more of the plot and and uh, by the time we get to no time to die they are kind of concluding that arc that series of where bond started to where uh, we get to in that film and um, yeah. so for me with these films like obviously casino royale stands out and i couldn't tell like I've, i'm sure i've seen quantum of solace a couple of times I, I can only vaguely remember seeing skyfall once i'm sure i've probably maybe seen it twice it's uh, like we spoke about it uh, after the movie yesterday, I do need to go back and watch that because everybody kind of it's yeah. it's usually between that and Casino Royale that people kind of favour. Um, and then I rewatched Spectre. Uh, yes, uh, Thursday morning before we went to see um, No Time to Die, and I enjoyed that. I thought it was. I thought I thought that was actually. Mm-hmm. 
like I can remember coming out of the cinema that one and just being like, yeah, it was alright, it wasn't too bad. But I actually really enjoyed it when I watched it again. There's some bit I think it's a bit too long, but other than that, like I'm to me, it's like yeah, it's got everything I want in a James Bond film. Yeah, and I think that when you say that there, like it being too long, Spectre and Skyfall are like a minute apart in length. The Skyfall mm. does not feel its length whatsoever, but Spectre, like, oh come on, and fuck, like yeah. get there. Um. I mean, with Casino Royale, I think the first two hours are a great James Bond movie. And if it was those two hours I was judging on solely, I probably would have a lot of competition with Skyfall. But it's the last sort of tacked on 25 minutes where it's like, yeah. okay, so you, I mean, like, you start, Skyfall starts with that big parkour chase, which when I was looking at it, I was just like, it's, it's, it's just a bit like, it's like, it's fun, but it's just like, you're just showing off really. Like, we're, we're, it's like an eight, 10 minute chase of a two hour movie. Like, and then, yeah. I don't need it. Um, also, as well, the way that he finds out about the whole terrorist subplot and everything, which links him to the terrorist organization that Lashif is working for. Lashif obviously loses all the money betting on this, so that's why he needs to then go to Casino Royale because he's good at poker, because he's a mathematician, because he's an accountant, yada, yada, yada. Lashif is obviously played by Mads Mikkelsen. Great villain, very, very understated, menacing, but not in a physical way, more cunning and intelligence, which I really, really like about him, but in a way where you can tell that it is all menace. Uh, the Weeping Blood thing, absolutely amazing. Uh, great, great Bond villain, sort of, what's his tick? What's his thing? Yeah. Is it robot hands? Does he love gold? Can he throw his hat? Does he have metal teeth? No, he cries blood. Brilliant. Um, and the thing as well is that they made the Bond villain quite human as well, especially the scene where, like, the, the African dictator that he's working for yeah, goes he's to chop off, off the hands. hands. Yeah, and he does it, and he does it into that after. Like it does show a cowardice in him, which I think is really good because it is a very three dimensional Bond villain. Yeah, uh, played by a very, very, very good actor. Um, the the casino stuff is great. Introduces Felix Leiter. Also introduces when he invents the vodka martini shake and not stirred, which I really like. Um, it shows that Bond isn't perfect. He does lose the game, but because of Felix, he can then get back in the game. Yeah. As we said, he nearly dies, and he has that moment with Felix in the shower, which is very nice. Not the not the sexy stuff, the non-sexy stuff. And then obviously he wins with, with Felix in the, in the shower. No, no, sorry, Felix. Sorry, Vesper. <laughs> sorry. No, uh, we'll get to that. Very But yeah, and then it gets to the end of it where he's defeated Lashif, but Lashif takes Vesper, and then that great scene where he's being tortured. That is, that is one of the, the hardest scenes to watch, man. Like that is, but yeah. and, and I, I like I love the performance of it as well, where he like. Um, Again, very James Bond, where he, he makes a joke about it, where he's like, oh, "I've got an itch. You need to move a bit to the left." And you're like, "You're a fucking animal, mate." To be to be yeah. not enjoying this, but to be able to have that attitude while he's going through it. Precisely, and I don't know. Like they, they never ever talk about the training. It's brought up in Skyfall, but for me, it was like turn the pain into comedy because you can tell he's laughing through the pain, yeah. and it's just like the file is like, "Can you help me out with the niche? You got it. Good. Now the world's gonna die. You know, he scratch my balls like that. It's like, <laughs> like that kind of that kind of gut feeling would take away from it. I think like a lot of people just think that oh, he's being funny, and I'm like, well, what else can you do in that moment? Getting yeah. hurt in the nuts hurts like fuck and yeah. getting hot in the nuts within seconds afterwards and that continuing is going to hurt like fucker yeah. so you need to take that away um then Lashif dies and I don't think it's anticlimactic I think it sort of spells everything correctly but then afterwards you've got the whole ah Mr Bond we have 150 million we need to miss it through the banks uh and then it's him and Vesper and then Vesper leaves and then there's the twist and then the chase for Vesper and then the building that falls down and I'm like you've had your third act you can't have another yeah, third act don't get to do that again and then the chasing of Mr White leading into it so 
I think the first two hours of Casino Royale, hour 50 or whatnot, is absolutely amazing. But the yeah. last half hour, I sometimes, sometimes I even just skip it. Because I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know what happens. Um, but other than that, the fact that the movie is primarily him just playing cards, I think it's done very, very masterfully well. Very tension, very, very good altogether, yeah. yeah. Good. Um, um, yeah. For me, again, Quantum of Solace is one that kind of, it's, it's not been a, it's not widely um, reviewed quite well. It seems to be like the the least there's favorite a, of them all. Well, there's a few reasons for that. So first of all, Bond is serialized. So the fact that they're continuing straight from Casino Royale, people yeah. are like, Wait, what the fuck is happening? And because they don't really flag that in any kind of way, there's not like, um, they could have started They could have started from the first last minute of Skyfall, him mm-hmm. getting in a car. So we at least know, oh, it's a direct continuation. This one drops you right into it when he's chasing Mr. White. Um, and... Like, there's a lot of things going for it. So back then, that was when the writer's strike happened. So basically, um, they didn't have a script. Um, they were fighting to get a script out as quick as they could. And then they could, no no, no, no writer under um, the, WG, um, the Writers Guild could write underneath it due to the strike. So yeah. no one was allowed to write anything, but they needed they needed the film to go into production. So they went in with an, incomplete, an incomplete script. Mm-hmm. Um, that didn't help. It didn't help that the director Mark Foster wanted to make the most unbond film on the planet. And it's like you succeeded, but I don't know why you wanted to do that for your fucking yeah. second movie. It was like Rian Johnson with um, Star Wars uh, Eight wanting to make the most un-Star Wars movie of all time. That's a great movie. That's an. Uh, see people that go, oh, I love that film. I think it's great. I- I like a majority of it, but realistically, why that that's again a whole other discussion. That doesn't I can't I can't go down that road. I literally, I literally just took a big intake of breath about to start this argument, but I was like, no, again, that is something that that, that would take its own time. But um, no, no, I'm not I'm not going to go down that road for one. That includes a lot of Disney hate and um, <laughs> yeah, no respect for the craft. But yeah, so Mark Foster was like, I want to make the most unbond uh, James Bond film ever, and it was like, right, okay, so what do we want for a Bond film? We want some unique someone with sex appeal we want him to have a look a bit funny or have something so you know Matthew Almeriek if I'm pronouncing that wrong I apologise was like so what's my Bond villain thing it's like oh, you're just a spoiled brat you're a spoiled yeah. brat that can't fight yeah okay I think what's, so what's my name do I have a cool name Dominic Green yeah I think okay. that's the thing when it comes to this film is it's it's not entirely forgettable but I don't I can't remember there being like so when it comes to like Casino Royale, you've obviously, you know, the opening, the, the, you know that it follows the poker game and things like that. Skyfall, you know, you've got the big kind of Home Alone bit at the end and there's like loads of kind of set pieces and I'm sure that's the one yeah. with the, the glass room and things like that. So even like for somebody like myself, it's maybe only seen them once or twice. Like there's things that stick out, whereas Quantum of Solace, the thing that sticks out for me with that film is only really the the fact like the end bit with the fire and then he, he drops him off with the oil and I'm just going it is quite like even even when you were kind of going through Casino Royale and you were talking about Vespa I'm like there was another lassie but went there there wasn't they didn't go straight to the blonde lack like there was more than just and it's trying to figure it out like to me Quantum of Solace kind of goes under the radar in the sense of like it's yeah I think it's pretty forgettable as my well, Quantum of Solace was supposed to be like the final note of Casino Royale though because yeah. Quantum of Solace when it ends ends it ends with um, you know it ends with them betra- finding out the woman that uh, the guy that was betrayed by Esper um, and it ends with them saying do you forgive her it's like no she's a bitch and I hate her and he, he walks away from the photo and everything so that yeah. kind of solidifies his untrustworthy approach to women yeah. um, but like what's really annoying about Quantum of Solace is like so it starts he's following Mr. White oh then then the, the guy from the first one's been a, a quantum age 
agent this entire time because they couldn't get Spectre. They wanted it to be Spectre, so they had to make up something called Quantum. Yeah. They then find a guy, he kills the guy, he leaves with his briefcase. Um, Olga, I can't remember, I can never pronounce her surname. She shows up and she's like, get in. So there isn't like a plot, there isn't like a mission for James Bond to do. The plot finds him. She yeah. Apparently that guy was supposed to kill her. He follows her to Dominic Green and then he gets put into this mission, even though it's got nothing to do with anything. Yeah. Um, because all he's trying to do is find the partner of Vesper, but gets put into this for whatever reason. So, you know, he leaves Olga in the hands of someone. He then goes to a quantum meeting, because, again, they couldn't get Spectre. Um, that's at the opera where they're all talking in their headphones. Yeah. And somehow you can take a picture of the back of someone's head, and it'll tell you what their face looks like, because <laughs> spy technology. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, and then he's supposed to get called in to be debriefed about the whole Casino Royale thing, and that's when Strawberry Fields comes into it. It's like, so you send one hot woman to try and get Bond to come back. He sleeps with her. Of course he does. Um, he's managing his grief. Um, and then it leads to them going to another party fundraiser where Olga spoils Dominic's money. He's going to throw her off of a building, but then Bond intervenes. And then he says, you're just like her, damaged goods. And apparently that makes Bond feel something for some reason. They then find out he wants to buy land from an Egyptian diplom uh, Egyptian warlord or whatnot. And we think it's because of oil, but it's not. It's and his big thing is that he wants to find the water supply for Egypt so that he can charge people more money for it. And yeah. that's what our villain's main thing is. Especially when we talk about what's going to happen in No Time to Die. Yeah. Our boss villain quote unquote just wants to charge people for drinking water. Yeah. He wants to he wants to work he wants to work for Egypt Hydro. That's 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 his whole goal. He wants to own Egypt Hydro and for whatever reason just take over Aye. that small kind of stakes. Yeah, he wants to be a team leader. It's really weird. Um, <laughs> uh, then Bond's in a plane because he's going to Egypt and then he gets shot down and they jump out of the plane and their parachute uh, finally opens up 10 feet from the ground and they don't die. Mm. Um, okay. Then they go to that hotel thing. Then she kills the Mexican warlord because he killed her. Uh, sorry, the Egyptian. No, it's a Mexican. I don't know. Anyway, the warlord, whatever they are. Got she kills somewhere. them. She kills him because he killed her entire family, which means the fight with Dominic Green and Bond happened, and that's when he's doing that. Yeah! 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 With a metal pole, and he's the most mm. unintimidating thing on the planet. The fact that they, that's why the building had to fall apart, because yeah. Bond has no competition there. Bond yeah, can exactly. just like punch. Um, and then it leads to him, as you said, driving him out to the middle of the, the middle of the desert, knowing everything about quantum, but not showing that scene because again they can't speak to Spectre and they don't know what the sequel is going to be yet. Yeah. Giving him the oil can, finding Vesper's boyfriend, not killing him, and walking away from it, now not trusting anybody. So Quantum of Solace is basically like the like another third act for Casino Royale, in instance. Mm -hmm. That is why it's so forgettable. Yeah. Um, there's no interesting visuals, there's no fun. It's just, yeah, you know. <laughs> so we're moving on um to Skyfall. This is your favorite yes. one. Yeah. Um, this is, well, this is my favorite Daniel Craig Bond movie. And, yeah. I, and I, all honestly, I believe it to be the best Bond movie in terms of everything about it. It's not my favorite. My favorite will yeah. always be Goldeneye. But this is the best Bond movie. And I felt that I talked a lot. So why don't you talk us through Skyfall as much as you can remember? And I'll jump in if need be. Oh, you've picked the one I probably least, I know least. I'd probably know better to, uh, the next one just because obviously I just recently watched it. The thing for me with Skyfall was like, as you say, like, 
to me with James Bond, especially going back to the older ones, is like you, you need to have that injection of there has to be that kind of fun element. And I think Daniel Craig's I, I see a lot of criticism, which I don't find this to be true, like, but I see a lot of criticism with people kind of comparing it to Jason Bourne. And I don't think that's a bad thing. Like to me, what I've enjoyed about these Daniel Craig films throughout the the, the run of the, the his movies is the grounded realism where it's like yes you want the gadgets yes you want the cool kind of cars that do this that and the other thing whereas i'm going like this seems more realistic in terms of like when you're watching things like moonraker and and all that like that's all fucking yeah that's almost comic booky or cartoony or whatever whereas this that's why i enjoyed this film and that's probably why i enjoyed skyfall because it kind of when it gets down to the very last scene uh, in Scotland in the house and stuff like that and it's very bare bones it's like right he's yeah. he is an assassin he's using the bare minimum of what he has to take out the villains and that's what I enjoyed about that film especially was just like I, can't, I think it kind of like stripped Bond back to like what he is as like as an assassin he didn't have all the gadgets he didn't have all the fucking weapons that he needed he was very just much cut off and it's but he could still get the job done and that's what i can kind of like remember vaguely from watching that film but go on fill me in well no that's well that's actually a very good point though because skyfall's about going back to the man the the, the house from when he, he grew up in like yeah. you know, his parents and everything so the way that you've uh, <clears throat> sorry the way that you've said there about how he does it all just with the bare bones on it i think is actually quite good analogy because he started out like that so i didn't even yeah. actually have that thought before then um but yeah, so Skyfall's when they brought in Sam, uh, not Sam Mendes, sorry. Um, no, Sam Mendes, sorry. Sam I'm Mendes, thinking yeah. Sam Mendes, uh, Academy Award winning director, um, to come in and do it. And they got John Logan, who's the showrunner for um, uh, the TV show with Josh Harnett and Timothy Dalton. I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. But anyway, like an established writer already, not just yeah. someone for hire. Um, and they came in with this vision of it and they wanted, to, obviously, it was sort of M's big outing, so they had to get M in it quite a lot because M was kind of useless in the last two. Yeah. Um, she didn't really do anything. Like, don't have Judy Dench and have her not doing anything, which is something that we'll talk about with Ray Fiennes and No Time to Die, but we're jumping the gun. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was just, immediately, it was just like, you know, we, we stuck, immediately you're, you're in something, right? So we know this is a whole new story, right? And yeah. they establish it, like, it's very, very important. You need the bare bones of it. It's like, they have stolen a list. You need to get a list. Go get the list. Right, I get it, go. That's yeah. all I needed. I just need Bond. You need to get that thing. That thing is a bad thing. Get it. Okay, yep. got it. So immediately, big, great car crash. Already, you can tell it's very well directed. Um, the, the CGI for face swap wasn't amazing back then. So there's a lot of times that you can tell that that is not him in the motorbike and it's his mm. face imposed onto it, which is, yeah. which is the, which is the worst thing. It's not the worst thing. I think that's um, the interesting thing that's happening just now, though, where, where that technology's come from is the guy... Um, spoilers for the mandalorian if you haven't seen the mandalorian pause yes. it for the next kind of like 20 30 seconds so the whole look skywalker thing when he comes in uh younger um a guy did that and on like his own stuff used deep fake and it's so much better than what the disney company did and it was so much better that they ended up employing him and he now why are you counting it's going to be it's going to <laughs> It's going to be as long as it takes. And then Just I'll... making sure that you don't yeah. spoil man's So anyway, the, the way the technologies comes, that guy got a job because he'd done a better job than actual Disney, which I think is amazing. 27 seconds. Yes, I do know I do know about that. And um, 
I think that that is a very, very important thing uh, because it was like it shows that people can obviously do it. And it's like, so why are you hiring these millions and millions and millions when you yourselves can't even do it? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so yeah, so like that, that, that that's 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 me being nitpicky. That's fine. And it starts with Bond getting shot, and you're like, oh wow, okay, what what where are we gonna go with this then? Mm-hmm. So Bond's assumed dead, he's been hiding, being an alcoholic, you know, fucking everyone hiding Beck's labels for copyright infringement. So that's why it's really good that obviously they've been out with him for a couple of months. So what's M doing? Well, M is typing up um his re- his like his obituary, and then all of a sudden something from M's past comes to get hard, which is brilliant you know um the whole blowing up of the mi6 building and being a very technological savvy villain is i think is very important for the age um he obviously bond then comes back from hiding seeing this he needs to go for all the rigmarole of tests again and it's, it's it's a really um going back to the idea of making bond human by that point he's only been a double o for a couple of years you know yeah. five or six years and the toll that it's had in his body already is starting to show because like obviously i'm not saying that 42 isn't old i'm not 42 so anyone a day older than me is going to be ancient but like he's not been doing it for that long and it's already had such a physical toll on him um, to the point of where he can't pass any of the tests, but M's like, no, I'm putting him in the field. That's when we introduce Ray Fine's character who's trying to get, uh, who's basically a transitional period for the old M because of the losing of the list by the, what would then turn out to be the, the big villain, the big bad of the movie. Yeah. So um, they don't have a lead on it. So Bond thinks, oh, hold on, I'll cut the bullet out of me that's still in there. I'm not going to get into that. That's that's neither here nor there. That's fine. Um, oh, we traced this bullet to one of three people. Do you recognise them? That is the person. Yeah. Um, where is he? Oh, he's in a foreign country. Okay, I'll go there. Um, he's an assassin. Bond hangs on to a lift. He can't hold on for many hours longer because he's old as fuck. Um, uh, Bond, uh, the guy takes out the entire target. Bond then ends up letting this guy die again. It's about failure. It's about everything yeah. he's doing. It's like, you know, he can't get anything because he keeps failing at his job. Um, then we see the the supermodel that they've got for it. Um, lovely woman. I can't pronounce her name either, so I'm not going to do it. Um, but yeah, then we find from his, we find a chip, which goes to Macau. Uh, when he goes to Macau, he sees the woman. Oh, sorry. And you know how you were talking about like the introduction of gadgets? Well, he didn't have a cue for those first two movies. Cue yeah. is introduced by Paul by Ben Whishaw. And even then, the gadgets are just a Walther PPK that only you can fire and a little radio transmitter so that we can find you. Believable technology without it being too showboaty. Yeah. Um, Interesting fact about Skyfall, though, while they were in China filming the scene in Macau, which is the giant casino with the Komodo dragons, which was a nice touch, um, Bond was, Daniel Craig was just in the market and found some lovely leather gloves and just said to the director, can I just wear these during the scene? And Sam was like, yeah, sure, because he was ill. It wasn't until after they filmed it all that they realised, well, hold on, how can he fire the gun yeah, if he's got, if he's got gloves, gloves on him? So it's very, it, you need to look at it, but see if you look at James Bond's hands through that scene, they're all digital. They're not real hands. That's hilarious. Yeah. That's things that, but that's things that completely go over my head. Like, I, that's something, like, now that you've told me, I will go back and I'll look at that. But, like, to me, I'm like, oh, just, oh, it's big noises. Bang, bang, bang. I like, I like. I just, I just think it's very, very funny. So obviously, M is getting pestered by this villain. Um, he's, she, the girl's like, well, if you can beat my bodyguard, you can come with me on this boat. Uh, mm. Bond goes on and um, I want to say consensual sex, but he kind of just gets in a shower with a woman um, that used to be in sex slavery. And I'm like, oh, Bond, not your finest moment. Yeah. Not your finest moment. I think that's, I think that's the thing. That, um, um, that's okay. Uh, it did- 
that's the thing that kind of worries me about going back and watching the old Sean Connery ones is I'm going, yeah, he's... he's... <laughs> Uh, yeah, you'll get a, you'll get a treat with that. Uh, definitely. I don't, I, that's why I'm not doing it because I'm going. Yeah, I don't. I, I'll I'll end up yeah, not I'll, liking him at all. I love that Family Guy jokes that you want to sleep with me. No, I don't. Yes, you do. No, you don't. Yes, I do. He slaps her. Okay, yes, I do. And he goes, "She fifty knows and a yes means yes." yes. <laughs> oh, it's, it's so bad, yeah. man. Uh, yeah, I like to be fair. I'm gonna I'm gonna put that up to a lot of it was the time. Like I can't really yeah. I can't really say anything about that. That was the time. I'm, I'm not going to hold people to the standard of 2020 hindsight with it. Um, if you're born up in that kind of generational period, I can't really fault you on it. It's If you're told no and then you continue, then fair enough. Mm. Uh, oh, it's really raining. Um, but yeah, so then we're introduced to the best Bond villain ever, uh, played by Javier Bardem, uh, Silva, in the best fucking way because he's not in the movie at all physically until the halfway mark, which is perfect absolutely perfect i timed it it's a two hour 20 minute movie he shows up at an hour 10 it's perfect and he has the best bond villain monologue ever it's insightful it tells you all about him it tells you all about the situation his relationship to m and bond etc etc i love the fuck out of it it's amazing and then you get that hot, lovely torture scene where he's being gay with Bond and Bond's like he's like you're trying to remember your training no and Bond's like what makes you think this is my first time and he's like oh, Mr. Bond which is brilliant um absolutely brilliant um then they do the then they do the Dark Knight which is the the villain gets captured but he always intended to be captured yeah. kind of thing which is fine I'm okay with that um he gets put in a box the glass box that you remember N comes to see him before his bit before her big hearing we find out that he was an agent that worked for her and basically she traded him in for other operatives. And, you know, we find out that Javier Bardem was um, trying to keep the secrets until he realised, you know what, she's going to leave me. So bit his um, potassium cyanide capsule, which didn't kill him, instead melted his face and inside. So that's when that big reveal happens where he moves his cheekbone, half of his face, the plates. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Um, you know it's there. It doesn't need to be on show all the time, but you yeah. know it's there. That's the main thing. Um, this leads to them having to hack Silva's system, which he wanted to do, which allows Silva to escape. Um, I'm okay with all of that. The one thing that really stood out to me as being really weird is this specific bit where Bond is able to stop him and Sylvan already had a bomb in that particular room for a train to come at that particular time. And I'm like, there's no way you could have timed that. But again, I'm being nitpicky. Gets to Em's hearing. Um, Silva storms it. Bond comes in, saves the day. Bond needs to get away with M and they go to Scotland, leaving enough trails for uh, Silva to find. With the big, great third act with Albert Finney in the Scottish mansion, especially the line, welcome to Scotland. Perfect, you know. Uh, as much as James Bond is a British tradition, I like the fact that James Bond is Scottish. And uh, I like the fact that, like Gordon Ramsay, but he's just got the bad accent. Um, and that we <laughs> end, and end in Scotland, which is great. So yeah, as you said, it's home PG-13 where the, 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 the traps will kill you um, great, absolutely great leading to the, the, the great cinematography of Sylvan in the dark walking along the ice, in the church of course it had to be a church, of course it had to be, he's going to kill M knife in the back, M's dead boom, brilliant, 10 out of 10 I'm being nitpicky but still 10 out of 10, great movie <laughs> absolutely great movie, can't fault it I really no, can't. I definitely, I definitely need to go back and watch it, especially after seeing No Time to Die and stuff, because like 
there are moments that do stick out, and as you say, the whole Javier, uh, Javier Bardem and and like he was great and stuff. So I definitely need to revisit it. So we'll move on to Spectre. So, so I seen Spectre. I watched Spectre last yesterday. So for me, <clears throat> again, I think for me with that, this kind of goes along all the Bond movies because it is serialized. I very much feel like you do need to watch them all. So like, there's kind of like I plopped in at what was that the fourth film, Spectre. Yep. Yeah, so like to me at that point there was stuff where I was going, oh yeah, I remember, oh yeah, yeah, that was in that film and that was this, that and the other thing. So Spectre, it's, again, I'm terrible with the with the characters. It starts off with uh, the lassie's da um, and he's, I like that whole kind of run where No, that's not thought, Mr. White, that's, um, that's a guy that M told Bond to find after she died, which leads to Mr. White. Mr. White's in yes, this, the story so so this is what I'm saying, though, is there's that many characters that within it, like you've got Mr. White, you've got uh, Lashif, you've got, there's, there's that many that you're going, right, you need to follow them. Um, I like the fact that they used um, Andrew Scott, because I love him and Mori- yeah. I love him and Sherlock as Moriarty. He very much played the line of, is this guy a villain? Like, he, like again, that's me going off the intentions of, right, he was a villain and Sherlock, are they using him as a villain here? And I think they timed that so well throughout the film where it was like when you got the big reveal at the end when you see that he's been working with um, who we'll we'll, uh, find out at the end of the film, he's Blofeld. Um, And I like that. Say again, sorry? Spoiler. Uh, Spoiler. (laughs) Yeah, well, yeah, obviously we're top spoilers. Um, (laughs) But yeah, so for me, I like the fact that this this film, and I think they kind of, they do it as well in No Time to Die, which we'll get to. The use of the side characters, the use of Ray Fiennes as M, um, as yeah, as um, is really good in Spectre. Uh, I like, I loved Batista as the the henchman. Batista, like for me, he has that look. Like, like that when I'm talking about the old generation, when you've got like Odd Job and, and Jaws and stuff like that, they look like villains. They look like somebody that you would have as a heavy. And Batista coming in, not talking, as you said, we we spoke about it yesterday. These metal fingernails bashes the guy's eyes in all that kind of stuff i'm going yeah give me that the fight scene on the train is fucking fantastic between batista and daniel craig and i was watching interviews um i think uh, daniel craig was on graham norton and he was talking about with batista um and graham norton asked him what his his injuries were and he says oh there was a train scene and and batista's like a wrestler and i was telling him don't worry you can you can throw me about and batista threw him and his knee just stayed where he was initially so his knee came out and all that stuff and then there was a point where he punched batista and broke his nose and he panicked and then batista just kind of popped it back in and he was fine (laughs) but that whole scene again it's the whole comparison with jason Bourne. like the fight choreography is stunning the use of it's not it's not over theatrical. It's not over the top. There's points where James Bond is like throwing fucking chip pans at him and stuff like that, just trying to stop Batista because he has just this fucking unwavering force just moving towards him. And I like the fact as well that um, remind me of the character's name, the woman, Blondie, uh, Madeline Swan. Madeline Swan. I like the fact that Madeline Swan kind of holds her own in this as well. Like you get the scene just before the fight where Bati- uh, where James Bond is like, right, I'm going to teach you how to use a gun, and she's like, look. Like, I fucking know how to use a gun. Don't worry about it. And and there's a nice wee kind of when they initially meet, and he's uh, you get the whole kind of suave James Bond. She's like, "Don't touch me. Don't come near me. I know what you're about." Blah blah blah. And you slowly start to see it more of a relationship rather than the whole top shagger misogynistic James Bond. Yeah. And there's a subtle wee smile that I really liked when when he says, "Oh." 
we'll just skip the hand-to-hand combat. And it's just, it was nice. And it was, and I think that works as well as where we see it go to the next film, where you see this dynamic and you see this relationship between Madeline and between James Bond. Um, yeah. For me, with Spectre as well, Christoph Waltz, one of my favourite actors. I love him in Glorious Bastards. I love him in uh, Django Unchained. I, 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 think he's, I think he's brilliant. I don't think he suits James Bond. I think he's too, excuse me, I think he's too... Um, not comedic but he's too like jovial and like he's not sinister enough and like to me that works in different films but the whole scene the whole torture scene with Bond when he's in the chair and he's getting drilled into the side of his head and stuff and it's not like he's making jokes but he's just like he's just too he's too he's too cheery he's, too, he's just a cheery little German man and and to me, as much as I do love him as an actor, and I'm not saying he was bad by any means in this film I'm just going to I don't think it suits the tone especially the tone that these films are very much darker and like as you say like Javier Bardem like he found a nice nuance between the darkness and between as you say like when he's somewhat flirting with Bond and in, in uh, Skyfall which I, I thought was good but yeah for me especially like knowing like Judy Dench was the last time I love the fact that they had that kind of side story with M going up against Andrew Scott um, I love Ben Whishaw as, as Q like again, going back to when I used to watch them with my grandpa, like the old boy that used to be Q, like he was great. But bringing in Ben Wishaw as Q, I think it's I think it's refreshing. I think it makes sense. I think his his chemistry with James Bond is what you want. You want that kind of like begrudging admiration for each other and like kind of banter between the two of them. Yeah. But yeah, like to me, we Spectre, I think again, it's not one of the most well reviewed. But I, I going back and watching it, I enjoyed it, and I would very much say it's it's somewhat pivotal to watch that film before you go into No Time to Die because it's very much a sequel and it touches on things that you like if I hadn't watched it yesterday and we went to see that and I seen that uh, No Time to Die with fresh eyes I'd have been lost because I hadn't seen Spectre since it kind of came out in the cinema but what's your, what's your thoughts overall as, uh, uh, with Spectre? I mean when it, when it first came out my initial thought was just like it wasn't as good as Skyfall so I think I was a bit more disappointed with it but I, I watched all four of them in preparation for No Time to Die and I actually like Spectre a lot more second time around. Um, I'm glad that I did as well because it's clear that there's a lot that they do with Madeline that they were going to sell up in No Time to Die which I can't yeah. talk about just yet um, but there is clear that they, they, they did a lot with her character and they knew that this was going to be something they would carry on which is very very nice um, I agree with you completely that Christoph Waltz is a bit too cartoony to be especially Blofeld and given the fact that like there's been many iterations of Blofeld beforehand and you can you can range them and all that but like did you like, did you like that review? Like, no, because I knew, I knew he was Blofeld. Sorry, we should say he's not Blofeld. He was Franz Obershower, but I knew he was Blofeld because I knew they were going to do a Star Trek Wrath of Khan on us. Yeah. Um, and I just knew that that was going to happen. There's no way they would get probably the most menacing villain in recent years, like character actor, yeah. to play the next Bond film and not it be Blofeld, especially because it was Spectre anyway. It didn't matter yeah. because the end of organisation of Spectre is Blofeld, so I don't know what the reveal was. And that scene where they revealed it really annoyed me because they, they he was he wasn't saying this to Bond, he was saying it to us. He yeah. says shower died a long time ago. My name is Ernest Starbo Blofeld. And you see his cat, and I'm like, that's not for Bond though. Bond won't who the fuck Bond will go, ah, yes, Blofeld. Ah, <laughs> obviously. You know, ah, damn it, yeah. how could I not have seen that? Um 
It made no sense. But yeah, what's very, very important, and we'll talk about in No Time to Die, is that every character inspector has a, as a, as a function. As we were talking briefly about Infinity War versus Endgame. Yeah. Infinity War, everybody has a moving piece and we understand. Yeah. M has his own drama with Andrew Scott's character C trying to dismantle the double O program. Um and that's a great thing. And like, I, the only thing I would say about it is that the, there's the whole thing where he's like, have you ever actually had to pull the trigger on a man? It, it's completely different. And I really kind of like the idea that he was, would probably try to kill um, M, but then freezes just for a second, yeah. just to show that. But that didn't kind of happen. He kind of just lost his balance and fell. It's still and a fell. horrible death because I felt it. Like I felt it here yeah. when that happens. Um, but overall, the game... You know, it's interesting, right? So obviously, I know I know Andrew Scott from Moriarty and I, uh, from Sherlock as Moriarty, and it's like to me, I'm going, oh, he's very distinct, and that's how I know him. But I thought he fit the the, the world of James Bond quite well. Yeah. But when we get to No Time to Die, there's a character in that where I'm going, why the fuck is this guy in this film? And we'll get to that uh, when we talk <laughs> uh, about side it. Side eye, yeah, yeah. Um, oh yeah. no, 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 it's not him. Okay, but then we'll get to it. We'll get to it later. Yeah, yeah. In saying that, though, I just want to jump back briefly, just ever so briefly, to Quantum yeah. of Solace. That the villain doesn't have a unique thing, but his villain has a his sidekick has a bowl cut. That's what I hate. Like his his villain looks like fucking Father uh, Friar Tuck. Yeah, um, it's horrendous. Um, anyway, so I just had to jump back to that because you remind about sidekicks. But yeah, Batista, a silent shark, a killer with no motive or or yep. empathy or anything just like i keep moving i'm gonna chase you i'm gonna shoot down a plane with a gun okay i'm not gonna die uh, i'm gonna fight you on a train i'm gonna kill the train i'm not gonna kill you but i'm gonna kill the train, kill the train. I do. he makes a very good effort it yeah. reminded me of, of uh, bane when he's fighting batman in dark knight rises and he punches the concrete pillar and breaks like that ferocity um, speaking of that by the way that's a character i would love batista to play I think Batista would be. Yeah, well, I think. Uh, uh, I yeah, there's Bane. talks about Batista doing a Bane movie. Which I, I think would be brilliant. great. Yeah, I think it would be fantastic. Um, especially that like a Bane in the later years, and he's like remembering all of his Batman things, like something yeah. like that. Yeah, done, yeah, that would be done cool. The Joker origin story. Now let's see, like a Bane reversal. You know, at the end of his era, yeah. that would be interesting. That would be cool. Um, but yeah, that's all good. Uh, the introduction of Bane. Yeah, so like. He kills a guy, he gets the spectre right, he goes to a funeral. <laughs> For lack of a better word, he rapes Monica Bellucci, like who's just lost her husband. Yep. And he just walks up to her and he's like, I'm going to have sex with you and you're going to allow me. Okay. Cool. Um, they were they were so hung up in the fact that they got a woman that was the same age as Bond, and it's it's important to point out that Madeline is twenty years younger than Daniel Craig. Um, but they were so happy that they got a Bond movie, a Bond lady his age, that they didn't think about saying, "Do you actually want to?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, that aside, uh, yeah, that aside, it then leads to the big meeting. Uh, welcome, James, and the cuckoo. The the whole cuckoo thing. I yeah. here's the thing. For me, it does and it doesn't land. On surface level, I don't think it lands. But my my interpretation of that is that is something that he would have always said to James when he was younger. Yeah. Like a sort of, like um. So if I if, if they never tell they never say that. Yeah. But in my head, that's why he's doing that, and mm -hmm. that to me isn't. But I get what you mean. So then we don't see him again. 
until his big other reveal, which is weird. Because like if you're gonna reveal him, reveal him. Don't hide him, don't reveal him, then hide him, and then reveal him again. Yeah. Um it's to Madeline Swan with the, the protein shake that he tells to throw down the thing. Even Q has something to do there with the people following him on the, the ice capades thing. The, like, I mean, yeah, on the ice capades. <laughs> yeah. I don't know the word for it, the forklift or whatever. He is doing stuff, you know, he's moving, yeah. he's running. Meet Madeline. Bond falls in love with Madeline for some reason. I don't really know why. He does. She does say, fuck off, don't touch me. And then that's that really nice scene with the, oh yeah, L'America. They're looking for L'America. And in the day and age where they have Google, you could have just Googled that and you would have found the hotel very yeah. easily. But okay. So then there's that very funny scene with the rat and he's like, who sent you? And I'm like, that's Bond humor done right. You know, yeah. it's fun. It's within the character. It makes sense. They find... The Mystic Room, and there's this whole other layer in the middle of Egypt. I don't really know what the fucking CIA and all these other like like government bodies are like. Oh, there's this there's this building being built in the middle of the of the desert. It's fine. It's fine. Don't worry it's about it. Right. You yeah, know, it's fine. It's cool. It's cool. What? Well, nah. Don't worry about it. We don't know about it anyway. So they go there. They get a train. They get picked up by a car, and Bond knows the make of the car from hundred miles away, even though he can't throw a punch. Okay, fine. Um, they get to the big lair. Stephen Merchant introduces them. Uh, they go to their hotel room, and then he goes to the meteor room, and then he's like, "I've been the meteor. I've been looking at everything all this time." Then I come down and crash, and then they go into that room with all the computers. They have their eyes and everything. Uh, the double O program has been disbanded. Uh, that's when they show the video of Daniel Craig basically convincing uh, Madeline's dad to kill himself. I thought that was a really, I, I really enjoyed that. I thought that was such a nice touch. Yeah. It's something that you don't consider um, at the start when you see that happening, quote unquote, live. Like to me, I was just like, yeah, that's. But when you see it within the context of the daughter being there and stuff like that, I was going, yeah, that's a really nice reveal. I like that. And then you see the panic, obviously, within Daniel Craig's performance, but he's like, look at yeah. me, don't pay no attention. And again, as you say, fucking humanizes James Bond. It shows that he does have empathy and, he, and, he, and he's realized that, that things are going to go wrong in his life and stuff like that. Again, wonderful performance mm -hmm. from Daniel Craig. It was great, yeah. And then that leads to the, the scene where he's in the chair and it's the, you know, oh, if I stick this needle in a particular nerve, you won't see faces anymore. I, I don't really see what the point of that is, but okay. Then the sickening reveal that he's not Franz, he's uh, Ernesto Blofeld. Um, the, the bomb watch comes into play. It wasn't too bad or anything. It blows Blofeld away. Um, then they escape and they're playing a golden eye level on easy mode because literally there's hundreds of guys and bonds just shooting every single one of them with no cover. And but I dead. like that. Like, honestly, like, see that scene. See when he's just like, he's literally, and again, it's it's the whole Stormtrooper thing where, like, the bad guys need to go for fucking shooting lessons because it's one guy and he's just popping, like, fucking 16. But again, it's, it's that dumb fun enjoyment in the cinema or when I was watching it on my TV where I'm just like look at fucking Bond go look at him just packing walking towards him boom 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 oh, boom headshot like it's it's the stuff it's it's honestly it's the, that's the kind of stuff that I enjoy about James Bond yes you need to turn your brain off in the sense of well, why the fuck are they not half as good at like just shoot him in the knee just shoot him anywhere but I like that scene where he's just very much like holding uh, Madeline by the hand as he just like caps fucking 30 guys it's brilliant yeah, no, 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 I mean, that's what it is, you know, um, it's fine. Then they get in a hotel, <laughs> then they get in a helicopter back to London. Um, they have to go to the old MI6 building that's scheduled for demolition. That's when they have the photos of Le Chief, Dominic, Sylvain. Yeah, you've been the big bad all the time. Um, Madeline decides she's not going to go because she needs to be separated from Bond and then be saved again because she wasn't saved enough the first time round. 
Uh, she gets kidnapped. Christoph Waltz has a scar on his face. Now Bond goes to shoot him, but because of bulletproof glass, uh, bulletproof glass, that doesn't happen. She's up top. Does the Spectre symbol on the glass? Exactly. You need to go up. In- oh, that's right. That's right. I completely yeah. forgot about that. You're yeah. completely right. Um, then um, they need to. Oh, by the way, can I just say this isn't a spoiler for No Time to Die, but I was reading notes on No Time to Die. The director, Carrie Fukunaga, who's a great director, originally his original story was that he wanted halfway through No Time, and this doesn't happen, so it's not a spoiler for No Time to Die, but he wanted to be the halfway through No Time to Die. It turned out he was still in Blofeld's torture chair, and that whole thing was something that made up in his head. That's but cool. then they were like, nah. But then they were like, nah, yeah. don't do that. And they're like, fair enough. So that didn't happen in no time to die, so don't worry. Um, but yeah, and then they get to the top, and then apparently you could just jump off a building because they have the big net down there. Cool. Blofeld <laughs> escapes the helicopter. M kills um, C, or Andrew Scott's character, by making him fall off a building quite harrowing. Um, and then uh, he escaped. Uh, sorry, Blofeld escaping in the helicopter. Daniel Craig's on a boat. Um, and this is kind of like a follow-on from Skyfall where he couldn't shoot a target 30 feet away now with one bullet he can take down a helicopter by one bullet um, it crashes on the Lon- I know, it crashes on the London Thames Bridge um, very very expensive to do that but it's James Bond so it's got you know like MGM money um, and he has the opportunity to kill Blofeld but doesn't um, I don't really think they did a lot with that thematically. Then Madeline's at the other end of the bridge. He goes to Madeline. All of a sudden, they're in love with each other because, you know, if I get into a fight, you will save my life. Um, and that's the only reason. And then uh, they go to Cubase and they get the, the Aston Martin and they drive off in style to the classic. And that was the retrospective look at Daniel Craig's career as James Bond. Let us know in the comments your thoughts on his career as James Bond. Has he been your favourite? Who has been your favourite James Bond? Let us know in the comments on Instagram, on Facebook and Twitter. If you want to follow us, we're at WithMatesPod on Twitter and at WithMatesPodcast on Instagram and Facebook. If you want to follow myself, I'm at AndAlphaGrey on all social media platforms. And until next week, let us on the menu.